From AD 52 to 55, the Apostle Paul's ministry in Ephesus resulted in a new church that began preaching the gospel. During that time, a man named Epaphras was deeply impacted by the gospel and resolved to take it back to his hometown. He was from Colossae. Epaphras returned to his hometown and in faith began the hard work of planting the Colossian church. In AD 62, Epaphras visited Rome where Paul was imprisoned. He shared with Paul the news of a strange teaching that was rising up and threatening the health and vitality of the Colossian church. The Colossians were being enticed away from the gospel through forms of asceticism and the worship of angels. In other words, they were being taught that Jesus wasn't enough. They were being distracted with man-made religion. They were drifting with the tide of their culture. They were buying into the false hope that the Roman Empire would offer them ultimate comfort and security. Although Paul had never been there, he was deeply concerned out of his great love for the people of this church. Therefore, he set out to write a pastoral letter from prison that would remind them that God had already accepted them by virtue of their connection and identity with Christ alone. What those in the church at Colossae needed to be taught and reminded of then, we need just as much today. In the face of opposition, distractions, and false teaching, we are to stand in Christ against the flow. Hey, what's going on guys? How are we? Good. It's good to see you. If you are a guest or you're visiting, just checking things out for the first time, Welcome, welcome to LifeBridge. We are really glad that you're here. We, we would love to have you every single weekend. You're welcome here every week, whether it's Sunday morning or, or Thursday night. We have the service at 6.30. That's actually the beginning of our week every single weekend. But if today's your first time, your timing is impeccable because we're starting a brand new series. And really what I want to do today is I just want to set up this series where we're going to take a look at the book of Colossians. And let me give you some of the why of us working through a, a book of the Bible, whether it be Colossians or another book or another huge ch chunk of scripture, whatever it would be, part of the reason why is this is going to force me to preach some things that I might not want to preach. Um, there are some things in the Bible that are hard to hear. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, they're also even harder to actually preach. So it would be a lot easier for me just to skip over some of that stuff and get to the easier stuff that's really acceptable, okay? Like I, I would love to preach nothing but Romans 8.28 over and over again. I love that. Or John 3.16 or maybe one of my favorite verses, which is Exodus 14.14. 14. It says, God will fight for you. All you have to do is be still. That verse will preach all day long. Like that's a get this tattooed on your arm type verse. I would love to preach that kind of stuff. But, but if that's all I did, the reason I would want to do that is because I know that that would be accepted. It would be fun for me to hear personally. And I wouldn't get pushback on it. But if I only did that, I really wouldn't be loving you well. Let me, let me explain it this way. My kids love ice cream. What kid does not love ice cream? As their father, I want to give them ice cream because I love them and I, and I enjoy watching them take pleasure in that. But if that was the only thing that I gave them, like what they wanted and what was easy for them to eat, I really wouldn't be loving them, would I? I wouldn't be taking care of them. Now, there's a place for ice cream. Absolutely. There absolutely is. You know, ice cream at breakfast. It's dairy. It's fine. It's totally fine. Some of you are judging me right now. Like, are you, is he serious? I'm just kidding. There is a time and place for ice cream though. But my kids also need protein. 
They need these things that they seem to have this visceral response to every time they see them called vegetables. They need those. They need vitamins. They need all of these things in their diet that will help them not only grow, but be healthy and thrive. I say all of that because of this. Today, you can go anywhere you want to hear whatever you want. Like today, we live in a world with strong opinions and itching ears. We are all prone to hear what we want and to go to the sources that are going to tell us what we want to hear. Like me personally, I'm so vulnerable to this. Like I want to hear the things that I agree with. I want to hear the things that are consistent with my opinions. I want to hear the things that affirm me where I'm at. I want to hear the things that make me comfortable instead of challenging me. I don't like to be confronted with a new truth because whenever there's a new truth that I'm confronted with, I got to do something with that. And sometimes that means I'm going to have to make some changes in my life and I don't want to make change because sometimes change is uncomfortable and I like to be comfortable. Like, I don't know about you, but I like to be comfortable. But here's what I've learned in all this, and, and this is true for you too. Growth doesn't happen in comfort. Growth happens in challenge. So when we work through something like Colossians or, you know, any other book in the Bible or a huge chunk of scripture, what it's going to do is when we don't skip over things, it's going to comfort you. Like there's going to be some things in Colossians that you're like, are you serious? That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. But there's also going to be some things that challenge you. And I love you too much not to let you just sit in comfort and never challenge you. Like one of my jobs, part of my job is to keep all of us just a little bit uncomfortable. It's part of my job including myself. And the point of that, the point of that challenge, that point of a little bit of uncomfortableness, is that a word? Did I just make up a word? I don't know. The point of that is for your own individual growth. It's not meant to hurt or not meant to push you off of something. It's meant for your blessing. It's meant for my blessing. And every single week, here's what I know. Every single week, I know that there are things that, that people want me to say and there are things that people don't want me to say. I know that some of you will leave because I don't say what you want me to say. Or, you say, or I say something that you don't like. And I'm okay with that. I have to be okay with that or I can't love you well. Part of loving you well is just being real. Let's just be straight up. That's just my natural personality anyways. I just want to be straight up. Let's just be real. And part of the reason for that is I don't know how much time any of us have. Like, here's a guarantee, 100% guarantee right here. You ready? You are going to die. You're going to die. Yeah, what? Like, if I'm surprising you, this is a bad day. This is a really bad day. Like, the mortality rate is 100% last time I checked. I, I know this is not a fun subject to talk about. I get it. Like, you might be like, hey, Matt, like, thanks for leading out with something so encouraging. I brought a friend today, and you're starting off with death. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. I get it. Like, it's, it's a downer of a subject. It totally is. But it's also reality. So we can't avoid it. Like all, I think all of us, at some point or another, we've got this, this thought that we are all going to live to the ripe old age of 95 and then die while we're sleeping in our beds. And maybe you haven't thought that before, but I bet that most of us have lived like that before. I know I have. I know that a lot of times if I'm not checking myself, I think I'm invincible. I'm making it to 95 or triple digits for sure. And being a pastor, I get to officiate funerals. In my years of being a pastor, do you know how old the oldest person has been that I've officiated their funeral for? Do you know how old? 
34 years old. It's the oldest funeral I've officiated. A 34-year-old mother of two. The youngest, actually the very first funeral I had, was an infant. I have not gotten the 95-year-old yet. We're not making it to 95, the majority of us. Time is not guaranteed for any of us. So I want to say to you what matters today, because I don't know if I have tomorrow. I don't know if you have tomorrow. I wouldn't be loving you well if I didn't think that way. Part of loving you well and leading well is being real and saying the things that we need to hear, regardless if it challenges us or makes us uncomfortable, but it's always, 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 this is my promise to you, I will always, as your pastor, say things that are meant to bless you and push you forward and meant for your own growth as an individual and so that you can thrive. That's why we'll go through something like Colossians and not skip over the tough stuff. That's the why. So in the church today, especially Western evangelicalism, I think you're seeing a dichotomy start to play out, a widening dichotomy. And here it is. There's, there's two different camps churches can tend to lean towards now. One is all about grace. You know, this is us. We're all about grace. We, we want grace with a side of grace. Tell me nothing but grace. That's one camp. And then the other camp, the other side of the coin is this. Uh, give us truth. Just tell people the truth. Which is also funny. I think a lot of times when you hear people that beat the truth drum the loudest, they're the ones that don't want to hear it themselves, right? Give people the truth. That was an awkward laugh right there. That might have hit home, right? <laughs> All right, I know where we're at. Give people the truth. Grace or truth. I don't want to paint too broad of a picture, and I don't want to create more of a stereotype than there actually is, but this is what we're seeing happen, happen in Western evangelicalism right now. There's this division, it's widening, between grace and truth. Now, the problem I see with this dichotomy, there's two major problems. Number one is all grace and no truth is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Grace can't hold up without truth attached to it. And then on the flip side, all truth and no grace is brutality. Like, you're just a jerk. Like, calm down, quit beating people over the heads. You cannot authentically be gracious with someone if you're not willing to tell them the truth. And people aren't going to listen to the truth if you don't tell it to them graciously, if you don't lead out with grace. Like, this is the dichotomy that, that we're seeing play out right now. And, and the problem, this is problem number two, is we've made grace and truth exclusive to each other. But they're not. It's not one or the other. If you are following Jesus, we are called to speak, live out, and give both, both grace and truth. Not a little bit of one and a lot of the other. Not one or the other. We are called to live out, speak, and give all grace and all truth. If you are not a Christian, there is both grace and truth for you. Not one or the other, not a little bit of one and a lot of the other. Jesus offers you both. And Jesus is the one that balanced this tension between grace and truth perfectly. We're trying to model Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. Jesus always let out with grace. He let out with grace. And then he told truth. Why? Because he loves us and he loved the people that he was doing ministry with. Love is always the motivation behind both of them. And you cannot love someone completely and fully if you're not willing to give them both grace and truth. If you're a guest, this is the church that we want to be. We have not arrived yet at all. 
In fact, we'll never arrive. But this is what we're striving for. A place that you will hear both grace and truth. A place where you will get both grace and truth. So that you can thrive. So that you can be blessed. So that you can grow. I'm not going to be the guy that says everything that you want to hear. But I also won't be a jerk when I say it. If I ever am a jerk, my wife will call me out on it pretty quick. You, you have that promise too. But I want to tell you what you need to hear because I need to hear it first. Every sermon that you hear me preach is going to be me preaching to myself. You get to listen in. I need both grace and truth. I want both grace and truth. You might have all you need in one of the categories. Not me. I need them both. And the only place to find both of them is in Jesus. So there's going to be times that we screw it up as a church when it comes to grace. Or we'll mess it up when it comes to truth. But we're always going to be striving to be better. Always going to be striving to be better. We're about progress here. We'll never be perfect, but we can be about progress. That's why we're going through Colossians. So why specifically that book? Okay, I get it. We're, we're going to go work through a book of the Bible. Why Colossians? It's because what it's about, what the, the context that it was written in, and what was going on with the people is very similar to 2019. So Colossians is a letter. You might actually hear it referred to as an epistle. It's a letter written by a guy named Paul around the year 60 to 62 AD, and he's writing to a church in a city called Colossae. Right out of the gate, you might be thinking, okay, wait, hold up, Matt. Um, a letter that's written about 1,900 years ago to a church on the other side of the world in a city that no longer exists. How in the world is this relevant to me, bro? It's a fair question. And if you're not asking that question, uh, you actually probably should be. Today, uh, you've probably heard this before, maybe, maybe you've thought this, maybe you've even said it yourself, that the Bible, the Bible's not relevant. It's this archaic book that was written a couple thousand years ago. Nothing, nothing in it is relevant to us anymore because times have changed so much. Now the Bible is, it's just a, maybe a history book with a couple rules, that's about it. Since things have changed drastically, there's nothing that's relevant to us anymore. If you've thought that. Maybe you've heard that argument before. Well, let me just say this. Um, I believe the Bible is truth. And billions of other people do also and have for the past few thousand years. If it's truth, then truth is always timeless. Truth is always timeless. Well, timeless truth is always relevant. It's always relevant. The Bible, the Bible, it just blows my mind, more than relevant today. Our job is to contextualize it. What is the relevant application to my context today? September 2019, what's the application for my context today? That's what we're about every single weekend here. That's what this entire series we're going to get after. What's the context that we can apply it to today? Here's how it starts out. Verse 1-1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Any of your texts or emails start off like that? Mine don't. Like, Paul sounds a whole lot better than me. Paul's an interesting guy. Like, Paul did everything he possibly can to just wipe Christianity off the map. Paul was from the elite Jewish class. He was a Roman citizen. He had what basically would have been considered an Ivy League education in Judaism. And he hated Christianity, hated it. Because he thought Christianity was a threat to Judaism. 
So he killed Christians. He threw them in prison. He did whatever he could to get rid of them for good. But then something happened to Paul. He's on his way to Damascus, which is, it's still a city in present-day Syria. He's on his way to Damascus, and if you have any kind of church background, you know the story. And he is confronted by Jesus. Paul meets the resurrected Christ. This is post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. He meets the resurrected Jesus, talks with him, and then gives his life to Christ. The guy that was killing Christians... The guy that becomes the, the, the biggest persecutor the church ever knows now becomes a pastor. He goes from killing Christians to becoming the greatest church planner in history and writing almost half of the New Testament. Like that's a big turnaround because that's what happens when people meet Jesus. Amen. There is never a so-so encounter with Jesus. Yeah, there's plenty of people that, that might be, be ignorant to who Jesus really is. Might not know the full story might have been misinformed, might have unfound assumptions about who he is and what he was about, what he said. People like that absolutely can just shrug their shoulders and say, meh, Jesus, I don't know. But anybody that's heard the full story, they know his life, his death, his resurrection, his ministry, his purpose, his church. Hardly anybody who has heard the entire story about Jesus and has learned the facts will dismiss him by shrugging in their shoulders and saying, he's not important. That rarely happens. They might not accept Jesus, might not accept him, but they won't dismiss him as unimportant. Don't just shrug your shoulders and dismiss Jesus as unimportant without hearing the full story and then comparing him to your own beliefs and assumptions. Colossians is going to get at the heart of that. And maybe it speaks more clearly than, than any other epistle in the New Testament about that particular subject. Colossae was a, a trading center, setting this up. Colossae was a trading center on a river in present-day Turkey. It had become a place where people were in and out all of the time because of the Roman roads. So the Roman roads in the first century had really shrank the world. And now for the first time in, in, in human history, people could travel throughout the known world relatively safely and, and quickly. Basically what technology has done for us, shrinking the world... That's what the roads did back in the first century. So now people were coming in and out of Colossae all the time. It had become a crossroads, not just for products, but it had also been a crossroads for new philosophies, new ideas, new religious practices. So every single day in Colossae, you could hear and subscribe to the latest philosophy or hear a new idea or be a part of a new religious practice because of the crossroads that it had become. Let me contextualize that to us today. We have the exact same crossroads today. The exact same thing. It's not a physical road that, that we go sit out by and wait as people come in and out to talk to them. It'd be a bit on the weird side and actually it'd be kind of dangerous. But the crossroads that we have today is digital. Technology is our crossroads. Every single day you can hear a new idea, a new philosophy, a new religious practice, and you don't even have to leave your bed. You just got to have your phone with you on it. Now today, there is an endless amount of people that will tell you what is true and what you need to make your life better. An endless amount of people that will tell you an endless amount of things about what you need and what you don't need, about what's right and who's wrong on any topic that you can imagine. This is the crossroads that we sit at today. 
Like some of you right now are going to be listening to this sermon like five days from now on your phone or watching it on your computer. You're not physically in the room right now. You're meeting with me at that digital crossroads that every single one of us travel on a daily basis. There's positives and negatives. The positive is knowledge. Man, understanding and learning, we can widen our perspective now. Man, we can learn about other people and other practices and other places. Today, we have instant access to information that either wasn't around in different parts of history or was not accessible to the majority of the world or took an insane amount of time to get. Example, I give you dial-up. Who remembers that nightmare? Right? Yeah, and that awful sound that went with it. You want to see a picture from China? Great. Get some popcorn. It's going to take you 13 hours to download that bad boy. Right? Watch a live video on your phone? How am I going to watch a live video on my Zach Morris phone? That's impossible. If you're under the age of 26, Google all of that. You'll get it later. I promise, all right? The downside, the downside to this crossroads, one of them is confusion. It's confusion. With all of these ideas and opinions and philosophies and religions, how do we know what's true? Like, how do I know what's helpful? How do I know what's got an agenda behind it? Does this idea or that philosophy or, or this religion, do they have an agenda behind it? I don't know. How do I know? Spoiler alert. I'll answer that question right now. Yes, they do. Everything has an agenda behind it. Everything. Even the guy that's telling you, nah, bro, you do you. Just believe what you want. That's trying to get you to believe in individualism or humanism right there. There is an agenda behind everything at our digital crossroads, everything today, including Colossians. Colossians has an agenda. Absolutely it does. The good news is the agenda is it wants something for you, not from you. And we'll get to that later. With all of the opinions and religious practices and schools of thought, and philosophy that's flying around on our digital, digital crossroads today, it creates confusion. That's what was going on in the Colossian church. Like one of the things they believed in Colossae was that the air is thick with spirits. Thick with spirits. This is what they believed. And if they didn't appease these spirits, then they themselves would be vulnerable and open to poverty and disease. That's what they believed. Hey, if we, we tick these spirits off, then we're all going to get sick and we're going to be broke. That's what they thought. Okay, again, Matt, let me get this straight. They believed in ghost stories. Well, I don't believe that Casper the friendly ghost is flying around. I don't believe that the air is thick with spirits that I have to appease. So once again, please tell me, how is this relevant to us? That's right. I mean, I'd agree with you. I think you're right. Nobody in here, I think, would believe that the air is thick with spirits that we have to make happy and appease. But in 2019, in American culture, I would say that we all believe that the, the air is thick with opinions that we have to appease. That if we don't appease to and, and conform to popular opinion today, then we ourselves are going to be vulnerable to ridicule. Like we might get labeled something we don't want to be labeled. Like we might be called closed-minded or intolerant or a plethora of other adjectives that we don't want to be attached to ourselves. We might be an outcast. 
We might be exposed to the mob of popular opinion. That's the disease and poverty that we're afraid of in 2019. And because of that, we don't want to blend in or we don't want to stand out. We don't want to get labeled. Don't go against the flow. So what do we do? Instead, we, we, we appease by blending in. Let me just step back in the shadows a little bit. I just want to blend in. That's how I'll appease all the opinions and all the thoughts today. I've said this before, I'll say it again, like, how can we blend in if we're called to, called to stand out? If you're a Christian, you're called to stand out in a good way. I'll give you one of my opinions right now, so take it for what it's worth. I think so often in the American church, we are so much more known for what we're against than what we're for. Let's be a church that's known for what we're for, not just what we're against. But that means we can't worry about appeasing things. We appease by accepting whatever idea or philosophy or religious idea or whatever popular opinion that we see on a daily basis or whatever's hot this week at the digital crossroads. And by doing that, we just back up. Because we don't want disease and poverty in 2019. So in that way, first century Colossae is exactly like 21st century America. We're the same thing. We're both trying to appease something. One is spirits, the other is popular opinion. Because we're trying to appease, both aren't free. In Colossae, Jesus was respected, but he wasn't central. He was prestigious, but he, he definitely was not preeminent. The city had become really a, a spiritual buffet where you could take whatever you wanted. The city and the church had both subscribed to syncretism. Secretism is taking different religious beliefs or philosophies or schools of thought and combining them together. It'd be like this. It'd be like you saying, you know what, uh, my neighbor who's a Buddhist, man, the meditation and the peace that he has, I want some of that. So I'm going to take some of that. And then this universalism thing that I keep hearing about by the guy at the coffee shop, well, that just seems kind of cool and, and, and smart to be open to everything and accept and affirm everything. So I'm going to take a little bit of that universalism. And then my friend that's, that's uh, a Muslim, Wow, the self-discipline. I'm so envious of that. I'm going to take a little bit of that. And then the guy I keep meeting over at the gym, he just, he just, he's an atheist and he doesn't get caught up in, in the drama and he's just a cool guy to be around. So I'm going to take a little bit of that. And then my friend that's a Christian, she's so joyful. She's so generous. I want to take a little bit of that. Syncretism is a spiritual and philosophical buffet where you take whatever you want from wherever you want to create whatever you want. That should sound familiar to our context. That's what was going on in Classe. What they were specifically doing, and this almost sounds like a bad joke, here's what they were doing. They were taking elements of Jewish legalism and then they were combining that with Eastern, uh, Eastern uh, mysticism, astrology, and also elements of Christianity, combining all that into one thing. I mean, my, I can't get my head around that. They, they were, that's what they were doing, and they were priding themselves on this, this new thought process, this new religious system that they created that was completely confusing, constantly shifting. If they were honest and looked at all those four different elements, they all conflict and contradict each other. They were putting them all together and saying, look what we've created. They were celebrating their new belief system. They were celebrating their own intellectualism. Again, that should sound familiar to our context. The Colossians were saying... Hey, everything has value. Everything has value. So let's take the value from everything, put it all together, get rid of the things that we don't like, 
And now we have the best school of thought and the best religious system. That's what they were thinking. I mean, I, I can kind of follow their thought process. I understand what they were doing. And, and they thought they were very wise. But 1 Corinthians 3.19 says this, the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. So in whose eyes do you want to be wise? God's are the world's. Because you can't be wise in both. You can't. Paul's going to write to that. There were so many different things being taught and adopted that it was really hard to pinpoint what the problem was in Colossae. Again, that should sound very familiar to us. Today, there are so many different things being taught, right? So many different things being adopted. It's hard to pinpoint the problem. And because there's so many different things being taught and adopted, it's created, in, in our culture, it's created some confusion and maybe even fear to not knowing what true, truth really is. Or does truth even exist? I, I, I don't know now. So Paul's going to write to that. There was this inadequate view of Jesus, so Paul writes to that. They decided to add on different practices in worship in order to ensure salvation. So Paul's going to write to that. There was a, a social superiority complex that had started to seep into the church. That can't happen. So Paul writes to that. False teaching was flourishing. So Paul writes to that. Paul is going to turn out to bring back clarity, correction, and centrality in Colossians. Basically, the, theme for, the dominant theme for Colossians, here's what it is. It's the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. That's the theme. The entire letter is going to be centered around that theme. But in the first century and in, and in the 21st century, it can be a hard pill to swallow because we don't like absolute truth. At the crossroads in Colossae and at the digital crossroads we sit at today, we have been conditioned to not think in absolutes because for some reason, absolute truth is either wrong or doesn't exist. By the way, whenever we say absolute truth doesn't exist, that's making an absolute truth statement. I mean, we don't like absolute truth, and, and I'm not sure why it is. I don't know if it's because it convicts us or because we feel like it might leave people out. We don't want to be left out. We don't want other people to be left out. So we certainly don't want to hear about, believe in, subscribe to, and be uh, attached to something that might not be inclusive. Because once again, that's a, that's a very thick opinion in our popular culture today. We live in an ever-increasing, all-inclusive world. So we don't want to go against that. But here's the really good news that's attached to Colossians. And this is attached to the entire Bible. The claim that Jesus is supreme is absolutely exclusive. Absolutely it is. That's about as exclusive as it gets. But... The point that gets overlooked or forgotten or even ignored is the claim that Jesus is sufficient means he's entirely inclusive and that he is for everyone. Romans 3.22 says it better than any verse I can think of. It says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone. Not the people that have got it figured out, not the people that have paid their religious dues, not the people that are picture perfect, not the people that were born at a certain time in a certain family at a certain place. It says it is for who? Everyone. Everyone who believes, no matter who they are. I love that. No matter who they are. 
No matter who you are, the exclusive story about Jesus is for you. No matter what you've done, the exclusive story about Jesus is for you. No matter where you've been, the exclusive story about Jesus is for you. My only question I have for you is, are you willing to listen to the whole story? Are you willing to listen to the whole story? Are you willing to hear the facts? Not some dude with a beard's opinions. Are you willing to hear the truth? Are you willing to compare your own beliefs, assumptions, and opinions compared to the full story? Are you willing to do that? That's where you'll find the truth. That's also where you'll find the grace. This is what I want for you. I can't persuade you either way. I can't. I can't. All I can do is tell you the truth and tell you the whole story and tell you about grace and then let you decide for yourself because nobody who hears the entire story, who learns the facts, will give, won't give Jesus a second thought after they've given him real thought about who he is, what he's done, and what he thinks of you. Are you willing to listen to the full story and then make a decision? Man, the claim that Jesus is supreme is exclusive that he is the way, is exclusive. But it's inclusive in that it's for all of us. There's so much hope. There's so much peace. There's so much substance in that. We don't have to be confused anymore. We don't have to guess. Is it this way? Or is it that way? Or is it this way? I don't know. No, no, no. It's this way. Jesus is the way. There's one. But it's for all of us. That's great news. I want that for you. That's what Paul's going to write to He's going to write about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. He's going to write about how Jesus has got to be central. So let me ask you a question. To set all of this series up, there's my question for you. What's central in your life? What's central in your life? Is my career central in my life? Is it my spouse? Is it my kids? Is it my kids' sports? Sometimes it feels like that on Saturdays. This is my hobbies. This is my relationships. I mean, all those are good things. They're all good things. But are they central? And those are the healthy things. What about the unhealthy things? Is a toxic relationship central to my life? Is an addiction? Is my own selfish ambition? What's central? Do a deep dive. Do a deep dive. And see what's really central in your life. Is it Jesus or is it something else? Colossians is going to make the case and point us back to the need and the blessing of having Jesus as the center of our lives. So right now, what's central in your life? Man, um, I'm really looking forward to this series. I'm really looking forward to walking it through with you guys and doing it with you. So let's buckle up and let's get ready to go. Love you guys.